Guys, please keep making your way towards your seats. Man, we are so glad you guys are here. As my friend Andy shared, man, welcome to the Springs. If it's your first time, right, or you've been coming for a long time, one of the things we're always looking to do is have a chance to get to know newcomers. So if you're looking to connect with someone here in the Springs, whether that be questions about the faith in general, or what pursuing faithfulness looks like here at this local body, one of the ways you can do that is by taking the Springs News, filling out this perforated section, and actually just dropping this off in the giving bucket on your way out the door. For those who just simply say, man, I'd love to have coffee, love to jump on a phone call, or I'd love to connect. But with that, I am, and it's funny, I was telling somebody uh, this before I even started. I've used repeatedly, if you've been hanging out with us the past couple weeks, like as as we come to this passage, I've, I've said repeatedly, man, I am so excited about this passage. This may be one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And what's true is, is it's, it happened again. And I'm so excited to be with y'all this morning. I'm so excited to see what God has in store for you and me through his word. So if you will, join me in prayer and we'll get started. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege of gathering, the grace of a, a beautiful fall day. God, I'm asking that you would come and through your word and your spirit in the hearts of your people, change us to be more like you. Would you come and do what only you can do, and that's help folks to come to know you and help those who know you to love you more. If you guys are here and you do have a faith, if you would, please take the next 10 seconds, man, and pray that God would use this time in your life to strengthen your faith. If y'all would, please take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that I would be helpful, that I would be useful to the master. Lord, we love you. We give you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. For some reason, do you ever find yourself drawn this is going to sound strange, but drawn to certain celebrities, right? Stay with me for a second. If I say the name Dwayne Johnson, right? Y'all know who I'm talking about? Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Now, if you have not noticed anything in pop culture in the past two decades, you won't know who this is. Oh yeah, man, right? Like I I wish right now I had the energy and the self-confidence to do like his, he's famous for this like massive like eyebrow raise that I've tried repeatedly, even looking in a mirror before this, to see if I could do it. I just can't do it. And then he plays this character, The Rock. He was this big-time wrestler, made it famous in wrestling, and he's transitioned to that in this movie career. Pretty much every movie he's in, he's this massive monster of a man driving fast cars, fighting people, and there's explosions, right? It's one of those two where he just seems like this encouraging guy. So much so, I was watching an interview that he was in yesterday. And it was fascinating in this interview because it talked about kind of his rise to stardom, like how his career began to take off because he gets these questions where people come to him all the time and they ask him about, man, how did you create The Rock? That was like his persona or his character, almost like you ever had to do a skit, it almost seemed like. And they'd come and they'd ask him, man, how did you create this character, The Rock? And he, he gave this answer. He's like, I've never created anything. I was fascinated by how he responded. He said, the rock 
that is just me. He said, that is sincerely just to my core who I am. This loudmouth, bold, strong, in-your-face, personality, comedic, laugh at himself, do whatever he needs to, hardworking guy. That's just who I am. And he said, but with one difference. When I step into that moment, it's like I take all of who I am and I turn the volume all the way up. It was fascinating as I saw that because for the longest time, and I'd never really thought about it, but I, I just assume, and there's this skit, there's this fake it till you make it, there's this front, this perception that you put on, but instead, like his, his claim of success, or, or regardless, whatever you think of his career, it was no, I, I just know who I am. And in order to maximize this, I just came from who I am and I turned the volume all the way up. It was funny to see him talk about it, even with this interviewer, because he just looks at her and he just shared, yeah, basically what I did was I just own it. In the moments when I need to be on, I own it. It's fascinating because he's obviously talking about his career. But it was funny because he uses this language of, of own it. And it triggered this thought of mine of the passage that we're going to be in today. Right, the, the Apostle Paul, and where we'll be is we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. He's literally going to use the same language of own it as he's going to come and talk about not some wrestling career, not some build your name, not some celebrity status, not some notoriety, but he's going to talk about your personal faith in Jesus Christ, what that means to you, to those around you. He's going to tell you and he's going to tell me own it. And man, it like got me thinking literally as I've watched this interview and I'm just standing there and it got me thinking how many of us, like if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, how many of us when it comes to our spiritual life, like our connection to God, like our version of own it is, yeah, no, of course I believe. But our relationship with God, and this happens to so many of us, it fits in this nice little compartment that we open up Sunday mornings Right? Or when someone's sick, we pray. Or at a major mealtime when family gatherings, we, we, we open up that compartment of our life. And that's our version of owning it. What Paul's going to show you, what he's going to show me today, like if you're here in your fall of Christ, owning it looks like when we come and we turn the volume all the way up. Not to entertain, not to fake but out of a sincere, real love for Christ. The way I think about it in my mind is so many followers of Jesus, we view our spirituality like we're going to a race and we show up in a Prius. Anybody here drive a Prius? If you do, they're great. Yeah, I can see a hand in the back, right? Economical, I love that. Save the planet, all for it, right? Have you ever floored it in a Prius? Yeah, no one ever has, right? Like the first 10 miles per hour, the thing's just silent. It's like a golf cart. You wouldn't even know it's taken off the line, right? But you go to floor in a Prius. I think so many of us, that's how we view our faithfulness. That's how we view a stewardship of this life. Like we're content with this spiritual form of faithfulness that, that's like, I'm going to race a Prius. And there's a God in heaven and you pick whatever amazing car. I don't know cars all that well. Like your, your Ferrari, your Shelby Mustang, whatever you want. But then there's this car that God in heaven is representing the faithfulness where he wants you to own it, man, volume all the way up. 600 horsepower, where a pursuit of him, it's not this slow, off the line, get to know him, fit in this comfortable little compartment. It's 
fallen. Own it. That's what faithfulness is really meant to be. And the reason I get so excited about that is we're going to talk about today, how do we do that? What does that look like in our life? Like if you hear and you believe in God, how do we really sincerely own it? How do we become passionate about our growth in Christ, passionate about our sanctification? How do we become zealous to actually be more like him? Not just, and this isn't just you, man. This can totally happen to me. Go through the motions or our Christianity, it's more of a cultural identity than it is like, no, man, I was a sinner apart from God. And by grace, simply by believing in him, he saved me, man. He plucked me from the pit, whether four years old beside your daddy's bed as he led you to Christ, or 40 with a wake of destruction in your life. It doesn't matter. I've been saved. I've been set free. And from that, God, help me to own it. As we look to see how we're going to do that, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 16, where the Apostle Paul, he's going to give us what I'm going to call four handholds on how we own it. The first one he's going to say, own your holiness. And that's broad. It could cover so many things. But the second is going to be own your past, own your present, own your mindset. Those are going to be the four handholds he's going to share to help us really own it, take responsibility, to take seriously our pursuit of Christ. I love, too, where where this comes, even in the passage, because if you're with us last week, here's what we talked about. We talked about the reality that Jesus is better than anything. He's better than your and my attempts to work our way to heaven. Here's what's true. No better version of yourself is ever holy enough to earn its way to heaven. The only way you and I come and we see Christ face to face and we enter into heaven, it's by believing he died for us. It's by believing he rose from the grave. It's by believing it's all true and he's coming again. It's by faith. He's better because of that. And the second thing we saw was he's better, especially when you and I come and and we stack up everything in this world, all the things that we try to compare Christ against. He's better than all of that. And that's why where Paul comes, having just built the beauty, the magnificence, the supremacy of Christ, he's going to tell us, run towards him. Don't walk, don't coast, don't drift, run. And if you're like me and you believe in Christ, here's my prayer. I want to be a better runner. God, wants you and me to be better runners. So if you have a Bible, turn with me. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to start by reading 12 through 16, and then we're going to come back up, and we're going to start by looking at 12 and 13. So I'll give you all a second to turn there as I also go to open this water real quick. Right? Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Paul starts it. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The first thing that we're going to see from this text, it's going to come from a circling back up to the top. So I'm going to read again verses 12 and then honestly, the, the, just the first half of 13. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. When it comes to our faithfulness in Christ, when it comes to you and me owning it, becoming passionate about a real growth in Christ, not, not drifting and coasting through life, but really owning it. The first thing Paul's going to tell you, and he's going to tell me, is we have to own our holiness, right? And here's really what I mean by own our holiness. You have to have a holy discontentment, a spiritual dissatisfaction, right? To say it a different way, you have to know that one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest blessings in your life would be if there was less of you and more of Christ. Let, let me show you that through this text. Paul, Paul, he says, brothers, I do not consider to have made it my own. He uses this language here of already. Right, he uses the language of already where he's talking about I am still a work in progress. He says, I don't consider to have made it my own. If you remember the context, right, the verses just prior to this, he's talking about growing in godliness. Paul's first statement out of this is, I still have tremendous room to grow in my faith. Tremendous room. Now, now if you know about Paul, here's what you know is true. The apostle Paul, next to Jesus Christ, Right? Jesus is first, and then next to Jesus Christ, he was the number one most effective missionary in the history of the world. The Apostle Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. His theology through the book of Romans is this crown jewel of our understanding of God. Like his faithfulness, his faithfulness led him into this town, Philippi, the people who he wrote this letter to to where he came, and when there were no believers, he came and by God's grace alone started and he founded this church. Its faithfulness and renown, it had grown to the point of where people in the community started to know Paul was there. He's brought and he's dragged forward to the city square. He's put before everyone, the local magistrates, because of his faithfulness for Christ. And because of that, what does he do? This amazing man, he endures a beating. From the beating they take him, they throw him in a jail cell. While he's in the jail cell, first thing he does, still bloody. This is all Acts 16. He sings hymns to God. God uses him to miraculously save this jailer. Paul would have written this letter 30 years, about 30 years after he would have trusted Christ. He'd had tremendous spiritual victory in his life. Tremendous spiritual victory. Yet here he is, like, man, absolutely more spiritually mature than you and spiritually mature than me. A deeper understanding of God than you and a deeper understanding of God than me. 
And that understanding led him to, I still have room to go. I still have room to go. How many times do you get around Christians who've walked with Christ for decades, right? And you, and you get around them, and what they're known more for is like this sense of, man, I kind of got it all together, right? There, there's this like spiritual almost, and we wouldn't say this word, but it's true. We feel it. This like spiritual arrogance to that. Then there is this like sense, the more you get to know Christ, the more I need him every day, every moment. Like I was fascinated in this because Paul, he has this famous passage that comes out of Romans 7, right? It's Romans 7 if you want to read it, 21 through 25. But what Paul says in this passage, right, is he talks about every day, the apostle Paul, one of the most faithful, obedient, changed men that has ever walked this planet. He says that every day he is in this, this war for who's in control of his life. Does he yield his life to the spirit of God and the grace that's transformed him? Or does he walk in his flesh, like his desire to do what he wants and not God's? And he ends this prayer with with this sense of wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from my body of death? Paul would have written that paragraph somewhere between six to 10 years after he wrote this letter. Here's what I'm telling you. Four decades later, tremendous ministry, a deep love, walking in faith, experiencing victory. But what did Paul know more of the closer he got to Christ? A daily need to own his holiness. A daily, not not false humility, but real desperation. Like, how many of us do we have that? Like, if I were to come and ask you, like, are there areas of your life where if I came and say, hey, what do you think God wants to grow in you? Like, what are the areas of your life that God, he wants to keep doing work on? Would you know that quickly? Would, would that, like, your, your marriage, man, if your marriage and you, and you believe in Jesus is not a reflection of God in heaven, right? Every marriage is in progress, but really there, there's problems, there's issues, there's concerns, does that grieve you or are you just used to it? Like, like your pursuit of God through his word, through prayer, through community with his people, are you just, just generally, and I, I've been here, generally indifferent to how that looks in your life? You know, it's not that you're opposed to it, but you definitely don't actively pursue it and you use things like busyness or I haven't found the right local place. There's no perfect local church Find one. Doesn't have to be here. Commit. Like how much of us is there a true holy discontentment? Not that have I already obtained this or I'm already perfect. But, and this is where we pick up the text. If you got your Bible, jump back with me. We're going to read verse 13. But, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. As the Apostle Paul, he's showing us how we are called to take responsibility, to own our faithfulness, to really lean in to the pursuit of godliness. You don't drift towards godliness. There's no such thing as spiritual coasting. 
right? He's, he's outlining this call to own it. The first thing he says is there must be a holy discontentment. You don't change things in your life if you don't think you need to change them. The second thing he says that you and I need, right, is if we come and we own our holiness, the second thing is we own our past. We own our past. And, and most specifically, how do we do that? You forget what lies behind. I love how verse 13, it starts out with, with Paul. He's saying his holy discontentment, he hasn't have arrived in it. He doesn't have it all together. But then he starts this, this statement with, but one thing I do. This doesn't mean Paul has this too. It doesn't mean he's attained it and fully accomplished it, that he's perfected it. But one thing I do, it's Paul shifting using this language in the Greek of single-minded focus. It's like Paul saying, hey man, I don't have all that, but this, I take this really seriously. But one thing I do, and what does he start with? Forgetting what lies behind. Paul's talking about his past and how by the grace of God, he fights to leave the past in the past. But before I talk biblically how we do that, here's what I want you guys to know. Personalities and people, we all interact and deal with the past in different ways. Right? There's tremendous amount of studies that have been done. There's something called the temporal time focus scale, where literally research have gone and they've examined people who sit, who reflect on, and who are defined by their past. And, and these are people, by the way, generally, and if, and if it's you, they're the folks who say, no, I'm not. I left that back there. I don't deal with that anymore. That's not a part of me. I forgot about that. It does, oh, this is my favorite one, y'all. And if this is you, we're so glad you're here. God loves you, right? They're the ones who say, man, it does me no good to think about that or bring that up. It doesn't even impact me anymore. As they say that with all those emotional sensitivities where you're just sitting there like, hey, I know that's what you want, but that just ain't reality. And Paul's saying, forget the past. You know folks who dwell in the past, statistically proven, have higher rates of anxiety, higher rates of depression. People who sit in the past, even in work environments, it's been shown, when you come and you provide constructive feedback, they take it as a personal attack living in the past. So how do we forget the past? For Paul, that meant two things. It's two things. It's, it's you do not live on past victory, and you are not defined by past sin. Like, you got to remember Paul, man. He, he has a highlight reel of faithfulness, which, by the way, God wants you to have. He has a highlight reel of faithfulness. He could have come and said, I'm the Apostle Paul. I know more. I can teach more. I'm more faithful. I'm more obedient. And what's he doing? He's got holy discontentment where he's saying, no, man, I'm not marked by the past. I'm not going to live on my past victory. I'm not going to live on that past emotion. Oh, 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 I love this too. I'm not going to live on that one season of my life in my past where I took my relationship with Jesus Christ really seriously and I've been pulling from that season of my life for the past 10 years because there's no present pursuit of Christ now. That's living on past victory. And there's the second part, past sin. One of the things that's true about Paul or that brother in the same way he had this like um, this, this record of faithfulness. He had a record, a hall of fame record of destruction. One of the things that's true is everything from oppression of Christians to killing Christians, 
Paul would have literally, he would have literally had memories of the moments. There was this faithful martyr, this minister named Stephen. Paul would have literally had the memory where they come to ask his approval for the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Stoning of Stephen, and Paul would have remembered the moment where he gave affirmation to it, and then Stephen died. Paul would be able to tell you to walk through the moments where people literally, when they found out he was in a city, Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, would flee the city. He would be able to tell you, I remember learning of their names, hearing about where they went, tracking them down, coming to a new city, kicking down the front door, and taking fathers from daughters, mothers from sons, taking them from the family, and killing them for what they believed. Paul would be able to tell you. He, he could remember the moment where the week before, the frustration and the unrighteous anger that could have grown in him. His resentment and his lack of patience towards people and how they cared. He would have been able to tell you about his past sins yesterday, a week ago, 30 years previous. But what does he do? He forgets the past. How? First way that you and I can forget the past is you must know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Here's what happens when you come to faith in Jesus. He looks at all of you. What I mean by that is your brokenness in the past, the present, and the future. The reason he died on a cross was to forgive you of all of it. Do you know that your Bible says when God looks on you, he says, I, I will look on them and remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far do I remove their transgressions from them. You know what your Bible says? He does not deal with us as our iniquities deserve. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. A Christian knows forgiveness like real, eternal forgiveness. It's the kindest thing. You can't forget the past unless you first realize there's forgiveness for the brokenness that you brought to it. You also can't forget the past, and this is the part that you just have to be honest with. If you don't faithfully try to make peace with parts of it. One of the things that was true of Paul is all those past moments, all his past sin, the past victory he chose not to live on, and the past moments of sin, here's what he, would have happened. As much to his ability, and we don't remember everything, that's not what God's asking, but those moments when you think back and you reflect on the past, and you have the twinge of a Holy Spirit-driven conviction, a godly grief that produces repentance, not worldly grief of guilt and shame. When you feel that, like in your life, have you honestly come and for your sin, have you confessed that to God? Have you acknowledged the brokenness that he had to forgive you from? Have you acknowledged the brokenness that you brought to the people around you this week, to the classroom that you were in, where you tore down another student to make yourself feel better, and as you did it, you had that twinge of something on the inside knowing you shouldn't? The moment where you were in the meeting and someone else is discussing something, and immediately you just tore them down. The disrespect you had towards your wife in front of the kids, just as Andy shared, the anger you had towards your child. 
which is really just you feeling out of control and wanting them to do what you say. Do you, have you confessed that? Because here's what he says. We're called to. We confess that to God. The second thing we do, and this is the part where, man, I'm telling you, the American church has tremendous dysfunction in it. It does. The springs, we as a local church, we're so capable of this. We need your help to fight against this tide in every way. Have you confessed to God? And then, are there a faithful group of God-fearing Christians around you who you've confessed it to them too? And this is the part, man, where you talk with folks, and it's always that, man, that does me no good. does me no good. And that's where, honestly, every time you just come and I just start reading Bible with them. I just start reading Bible where it talks about there's areas of our lives that want to hide in darkness and how God calls us to shine light on the darkness, how he who conceals his sin, he will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will find healing. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. No Christian should ever be surprised by another Christian coming and telling them there's sin in their life. Why? Because we needed Jesus Christ to die for us. Jesus Christ on the cross outed you for all of your brokenness. The unresolved brokenness of your past, what we don't do is leave it behind. That's what Paul says, forget what lies behind. What we do is we bring it to the present and then we act like we're fine, but in reality, you know you're not. Man, my, my daughter, she's uh, coming up on three. We're excited. We got a baby on the way. So she's had this nursery, and we're going to change her room, right? We're going to move her to another room so baby can get nursery. But the room we're going to move her in, it's our guest room. It has been full of basically a whole bunch of junk and storage because we haven't known where to put it. Literally, the door to this room in our house, it just stays closed, Why? Because you can kind of feel like the rest of the house is tidy and clean, but that's just the one sectioned off form of chaos and destruction, and we just don't open that door. So many of us have like our own version of of like house, where there's parts of our lives where we have come and we have put the baggage, the dysfunction, the brokenness, the fear of resolving conflict, the fear of consequence, and we push it all to one room. We close the door. We know what's behind it, but we close that door, and then we tidy everything else, and then we pat ourselves on the back for saying we are being fully obedient. No, no, no. That's partial obedience. God's always after full obedience, full devotion. I'm not saying you ever make more of problems in your past. God can bring healing, redemption, and health to anything. But man, I'm telling you, most people, it's not, their problem is not that they make too much of it. It's that they make way too little. And we don't leave what lies behind. We bring it into the present. Let's keep looking at what Paul says. Jump back in with me, back into your Bibles. I want to read again. I want to start in verse 12. This time, though, we're going to go down through 14. 12 through 14. Paul again says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is really the heartbeat of this passage right here. Previously, he he almost basically just said, hey, you got to make peace with the past. And then you have to pursue faithfulness in the present. So if before he says, own your past, right? Lean into that. Forget what lies behind in a biblical way. Don't, Don't just bury that inside and stuff it. Know you've been forgiven. Walk towards peace. Then he says, man, you got to come and steward your present. Own the present. Own it. What I love about this is Paul, he's using this illustration here, and he does this repeatedly in the New Testament, of a sprinter. It's like of a foot race. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, take spiritual growth, the pursuit of godliness, Christ-likeness, as seriously as a competitive sprinter takes a race. Do y'all hear that? Take a pursuit of God as seriously as someone who comes to line up in the blocks, waits for the countdown, knows, man, I got to get out of the gate as quickly as I can. I need explosive movement that they've already calculated the distance to the end. And their job is to run. Is a sprinter thinking about at the end of the line managing their exhaustion level? They're getting the line. He says, press on. He uses that language twice. I press on. It's literally this language to run. It was used in in the Greek to describe sprinters, and it's to run with this sense of like aggression to it. He describes it as what what, what should Christians do? We strain forward. Straining, it it was indicative of maximum effort. It's like a muscle being strained in its tight, not as in it's about to break. It's being used to its maximum output. How many of us, sincerely, as you think about Christ, there's an honest thought of, I sprint towards Jesus, man. I don't earn his love, but because I have his love, I really, I'm not going to fool around. I'm going to run. I, I don't care if people say terrible language. Terrible language like, oh, that's, that's just the weirdo Christian that's taking religion way too seriously. There's nothing normative in our culture about biblically pursuing Christ this way. We should stand out. Don't be a weirdo, right? But man, I'm telling you, be different. When people talk about you, if there's not a mark of man, when I get around them, I can just tell they care. They've got no problem going from talking about football to faith. They lean into the moment when the server comes to the person who walks into their patient room. Hey, man, is there anything I can be praying for? They they parent differently. They neighbor differently. They serve differently. They study differently. Why? We are meant to to sprint. What do we sprint towards? Toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What I love about this is what is that goal? What is the finish line for a Christian? And there's a famous passage. I imagine many of you have heard this. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. 
It's the same language Paul's using here. What is, what is the prize? What is the finish line for the Christian? It's death. It's the moment when you go from this world to an eternity with God. That's the moment when you stop pressing on. That's the moment when you stop straining forward. That's the moment when by the grace of God alone, you no longer wake up and have a heart that says, Lord, I yield to you today. You're in charge, not me. By your grace, by your power, help me to own it. That will be the day, the moment when you see Christ face to face and you no longer have to worry about your inability to follow. You'll be wholly consumed by his kindness his goodness, his majesty, and the privilege of being his. That is the upward call. That's the moment. Do you see how a perspective on eternity is meant to help us steward our mortality? I'm going to say it one more time. A perspective on eternity is meant to influence how we steward our mortality. That, that's why I started with, does a sprinter worry about, on the other side of that race, being tired? No. They run. I, uh, this is kind of a silly thing, but man, I, I thought about this this past week, thinking about how is that done. Anybody remember the last time they raced somebody else in a car? I hope you don't really have that story. If you're in high school, don't go get this story, right? For me, and it was an immature moment, I acknowledge that. Again, I'm not recommending this. It was about a year ago, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> About a year ago, now speeds, we didn't get up to real high speeds. It was just off the line. You might be wondering, hey, well, did you go to a dirt track? Did you go to like a racetrack? No, I was right outside of HEB up there, just north on 46, right outside of the neighborhood Oak Run. You might be running, well, man, maybe you just weren't in your right mind. You'd gotten around the wrong crowd of people. Maybe you were influenced. No, I'd just come from like a church meeting with a whole bunch of Springs members, right? And I pull up to the stoplight, and there's a buddy of mine. His name's Brandon. He's a member here at the Springs. He's got a truck. He's sitting in the stoplight. And I pull up right beside him. I had a truck at the time. And, and for some reason, my sin, my immaturity, all of that combined, I'm just like, oh, I know what to do. Roll down the window. I look over at him. He rolls down his window. I just rev the engine. Rev the engine. Hey, that's the international signal for, have you seen Fast and the Furious 47? Because we're about to do that. Right? So that was the international signal. So me and Brandon were there at the line. We're both looking to the side, watching, because the light off to the left is going to tell me when this light's going to turn green. And I can watch you go from green to yellow to red. It shifts to red. What did I do? Floored it. Like as far down as I could push that pedal is how far down that pedal went. And it's in a truck, so there's no weight in the back. So tires spin. This was tremendously unsafe. Don't ever do this. I repented. I've confessed all this. I've made peace with the past. I forgot the past. All that, right? Tires spinning. We take off. And we, we top out at like 40. It was fine. I just, no kids in the car. I just floor it, man. Why? I wanted to run the race. Here's what I'm telling you. Remove the foolishness of racing in the car. Remove all that. Is your mindset when it comes to getting to know God, floor it. Is your mindset when it comes to connecting with him, put it to the bottom of the floorboard. If not, why not? Because if flooring it means you become more like Christ, 
If flooring it means you get to know God more, that means you come to a better understanding of how the creator of the universe really does love you, really does call you holy, beloved, looks on you with sincere forgiveness, calls you son, calls you daughter. That's what awaits you, more and more of that. Not not spiritual drudgery, where you think the more I become like him, the more life in this world, it's just boring. If that is your view of God, you have a broken, unbiblical view of him. We own it. We own the present. Let's look at one more thing. Philippians, still in three. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. I love this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So as we're talking about how when it comes to faithfulness, a, a passionate pursuit of growing in godliness, we are intended to own it. The fourth thing it says, it says, own your mindset. Own your mindset. And, and what I love about this too is he tells us what a mature mindset is. And if he tells you what mature is, you know what immature is. Mature Christians, let those of us who are mature think this way. What, what has Paul just previously outlined? The mature in Christ have a real, not false humility, but a sincere understanding of God that produces a holy discontentment. If you believe in Jesus and there are not parts of you that when you honestly reflect, not in sin, not in shame, but in perspective of the holiness of God, that you don't sit here and you don't have a sincere, God, I need you to kill that in me. Please kill it. I can't. Would you kill it? That's not Christian maturity. The second thing that Paul said is, man, if you're taking the past and it is influencing your present, perhaps because you don't even know Christ or because even though you know him, you don't think his forgiveness goes that far. That is not mature thinking. And then if you come and sincerely like your view of God and live this, if it's you, I'm so glad you're here. But your view of God is like, dude, I just, I just check the boxes I go through. Like, and as I say this, you might be thinking, and I've thought this when I've listened to so many teachers of God's word, man, that guy's just too serious. He just needs to chill out a little bit, right? Why has he got to be so uptight about this? Here's what I'm telling you. That is not a mature way of thinking. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, I love this, God will reveal that also to you. Paul's saying, hey, let's say you totally disagree with me. Let's say you don't think that you should have holy discontentment. Let's think you think you're just fine. God says, I won't argue with you. I've told you the truth. I'm gonna keep running towards Christ. I'll let the Holy Spirit bring you to conviction. And then he gives this final reminder to all the Christians who would have gotten it, who would have leaned in and said, I want more of Christ. I want to own it. I want to run towards him. I want to press on. I want to strain. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Your Bible, it may say, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. It's this call to the people in the room who by the grace of God, he's grown Because here's what's true. When you walk with faith, you should sincerely yield it to him. 
not be marked by the same scars of sin, not be marked by the same brokenness and pain. There should be more joy. There should be more life. And that passionate pursuit of Christ, he's saying, man, that's, that's what we gotta hold on to. It's this final reminder to you and to me. Run. Run. And, and the problem is, man, there's no eloquence in the world. There's no good language. There's no poetic preaching that anyone could ever come and tell you that makes God as beautiful as he really is to where we see what awaits those who run. Man, I'm telling you, own it. How do we do that? You own your holiness. It's got to be a holy dissatisfaction. If, if you honestly stop and think, and your answer, most times, let's say you show up to a community group or you run with other Christians, is you kind of think, no, I think I'm, I'm doing pretty well. And this is my favorite, man, when folks lead with, well, yeah, I'm not in the midst of an affair. I'm not addicted to an opiate, right? In my marriage, it's fine. If that's your evaluation of holiness in your life, just go tell someone that. And tell someone, oh, this is the other key, tell someone that you view as less spiritually mature than you. Why? God wants to help you realize, no, there's tremendous room to grow. Praise God those things don't mark your life. Praise God, that is a sign of faithfulness. But just because it doesn't mark you, it doesn't mean we don't still run. Do you see that? It's like people, we have this mindset where I've gotten to this point. Because I've gotten here, and there's a whole bunch of people back here, I'm going to kind of slow down and chill. They got more problems. Let God really work on them. The biblical precedent is wherever you are in the spectrum towards godliness is this mindset of run, 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 run. The second thing we do is we fight to own it. As we own our past, we forget the past. You gotta do that by first coming to know. If you don't know Jesus, you just believe it to be true. Receive forgiveness of your sins. But if you do know him, I mean, there's parts of your past with undealt, unrepentant, unconfessed sin, and you can't confess everything. That's not what I'm advocating. But the parts of you where you honestly come and your mind goes back to that memory far more than what you wish it did, where you wish you could stop thinking about that one part, or you wonder how that part impacted you, or you don't know why in certain environments, all of a sudden, you get really temperamental and short. Maybe you didn't leave it behind. Maybe your past is informing the present. Go. Connect in a community group. Tell them this. Share these things. If you're not a part of a local church, commit to one. If not here, go somewhere. We have a tremendous ministry Monday nights called Regeneration. It's a discipleship focus on exactly this. And I do have to make one caveat. If you were abused, assaulted, and victimized, I know that it just gets really serious as soon as you do that. But honestly, like before this, as we're, we're laying the plane on the sermon, God's like, you gotta tell him this. And you just say, it does me no good to bring that up. It does me no good to think about that. That's only gonna bring pain. I would plead with you. I would introduce you to friends who have walked through tremendous suffering and tragedy to say, I really do believe there's more peace to be had than you fighting to keep that one room of your life, that door, closed. God wants light everywhere. He can bring peace, especially if that peace was stolen from you. The third thing we do is we own the present. We take responsibility for faithfulness. I've already shared a way to do that. 
commit to a local body. If not here, man, that's great. Go somewhere. But if here, really commit. Like if community group and you're a Springs member, you're just going through the motions, go and ask their forgiveness. If you don't really care about their spiritual development, ask their forgiveness. If you think they don't care about yours, go and tell them that. If you have no present time for connecting with God, find 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, and create a space. I encourage you, same space every day, same time of day, every day. Start in the book of John, read one chapter, just turn a page and ask God to do something. He will. He loves you. And how else do we do this, man? I'm, I'm pleading for the springs. This is biblical maturity. This is Christian maturity. Why this matters so much is so many times we evaluate Christian maturity by just what I'll call activity. What we do, we go to church, we don't cuss, or we, we do this by our activity. What's true is that can be wonderful. Christians should live, act different, be different. But that's actually a symptom of a mindset. Christian maturity comes when we think, when we embrace this Guys, we are called to own our faith, and the reason we own it is exactly what this text said at the start. Because Jesus Christ has made us his own. The only reason we come and we do this is because God in heaven saw you, and he saw me, and he says, mine. That despite all my brokenness, my foolishness, right, my recklessness, despite all of that, he looks at me and he says, son, that he gives me his Holy Spirit that helps me to walk in strength, not in security, that, that draws me to him, not away from him, that when I have moments where I want to hide, I want to isolate, and I want to say, I know better than them anyways, it's not going to help if I go tell them. And in those moments, his spirit convicts me, and he draws out that repentance. We own it because he first came and owned us. We run because he first ran towards us. I'll close with this briefly. I've got some friends who have really faithfully demonstrated this to me, right? Through, through different reasons and areas of their lives, everything from they're set to get married, then they're not getting married, then they're getting married and not getting married, and that took place because I shared I would not get married, I would get married, I would not get married, I would get married. Seeing them come into places of their life where they come and they just trust Christ and there's this newness and they're connecting to people in this body. And the reason they found this was because they just felt like they had hit rock bottom after they'd gotten the DUI. And they're in court wondering whether or not they'll lose their license. To moments where they're walking by faith and they're growing in it and then they have a moment of relapse and in the relapse they then find themselves unplanned, unexpectedly pregnant and the brokenness comes back in. The pain comes back in to where there's the point where even the child growing in fear, not knowing what to do, terrified of what might await, have the appointment scheduled to terminate the pregnancy. But from that, due to the people of God, there's a reminder of grace and provision and how God can help in the midst of anything. They come and they tell people. They open it up, they allow the local church, they allow community to come around them and to love on them in this relationship of one couple who has one broken night. All of a sudden, God begins to change the hearts of both. 
to while they knew him, they finally begin for the first time to really walk in repentance, to own it. And I love it. I got to hear this couple talk two weeks ago, right? And, and the wife, she shared how she used to need these moments of tremendous sin to help her remain desperate. But how the more and more she's gotten to know God, the more and more she realizes, I daily want to be desperate, not because of brokenness and sin in my life, but because God is that good. Not because I'm a, I have a tendency to be a terrible person, but because he is that kind and loving, forgiving, and majestic. Church, God wants that mentality if you have become a Christian today. God wants that mentality if you have walked with Christ for two years, God wants that mentality if you have walked with Christ faithfully for five decades. We fight to own it. So what I wanna do is I wanna invite this couple to come and they're just gonna close us in prayer. They're gonna pray for you, they're gonna pray for me, and they're gonna pray that we own it. Because one of the things that's true is you and I, we have this tendency to not think this way to not live this way. Remember, we all want to compartmentalize. We all have things going on that distract us. And they want to help us fight through prayer to help us own it. Because God, here's what happens when you and I, we strive to do this. Here's what awaits. More of the kindness of God, more of the goodness of God, more of the reality of living in this world with a strength that comes from him, not from you trying harder. That is a type of faith that helps us own it. So if y'all would, clap with me while I welcome my friends, Christian and Veronica. <laughs> y'all mind just close us in prayer and we'll get out of here? Yeah, absolutely. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you for this Springs family. Uh, I thank you for bringing us here. I thank you for the urgency that you brought into our lives. I, I thank you for the events that brought us to our knees and just allowed us to turn up to you. I pray for everyone, everyone in this room this morning that they would have a similar urgency, whether they are, are dealing with you know, crazy struggles or just you know, dealing with complacency. Lord, I, I pray that you create that inside of this family, inside of this church. And Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your blessings. I, I pray that you remind us of that every day. And um, I, just, I just pray for this church that will band together. And Lord, that those outside these walls will, will see that uh, in, in our daily lives and in business, uh, in schools. Lord, I just pray for that in, in each one of our lives, that, that you'll touch us. Lord, you say in your word that the time is upon us. Lord, I pray for that urgency. I pray for that in, in each one of our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, if you're here and you're wondering, hey, that's a different view on God, that's a different perspective of a relationship with Christ, and you have questions about that, turn to somebody and ask them, are you a follower of Jesus? And then ask them, how do I have a faith like that? How do I get to know God like that? If there's confusion, I'll be right down here. I'll help walk through anything. God wants you to own it. Why? Because he looks at you and says, mine. Y'all go. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.